Hey everyone, John here. Uh, sorry for this weird audio quality here for a moment. Uh, I'm recording this in a bathroom on my iPhone because I already recorded this week's episode and don't have all my fancy gear with me. But there's some amazing news out of the Cincinnati Zoo, which is that uh, Bibi, the hippo and mother of world famous Fiona, had her new baby hippo. Everything went really well. There is so much footage of this little goober online already that um, I'm sure I'm not telling you anything that you don't know. Uh, But everything went well, and it looks like a good, normal birth, and that's really exciting. When I recorded this week's episode, though, I did not know for sure if that was going to happen. So you're going to hear a whole little bit about it in the episode. But I wanted to throw this on the beginning because it is the biggest zoo news of the week, and I wanted to share it with y'all. So, uh, cool. Enjoy the actual episode. Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums... Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, 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 and welcome back to Rossafari Zoo News, our look at what's going on in the world of zoos, aquariums, conservation, and animal weirdness, along with some updates from my life. Uh, for those of you who know that secretly I'm the most interesting animal of all. <laughs> okay, we all know that's not true, but uh, I do have some kind of cool news that I want to share with you at the top of this episode. Um, for those who are caught up, uh, Miles's birthday is coming up on August 10th. He's going to be eight years old, and he has expressed a real interest in learning the guitar. So uh, after talking to my parents about getting him lessons and talking to his mom about getting him to those lessons and taking care of all of that stuff, uh, I went out and got Miles his acoustic guitar for his birthday. Now, as a musician, I have to talk about this a little bit. It's also kind of a fun story, though. So uh, I am a firm believer that you should not start off with beginner instruments. Um, They're just not as well made. They're harder to play. You're going to fight them more. And uh, they're just not going to inspire you as much as a better instrument will. Now, that's not to say that you need something top of the line to start off either, but it really helps to have a really good instrument. Uh, For instance, I recently decided I wanted to spend some time on the electric bass. And so I went out and found myself a good deal on a Fender Jazz Bass, which is, uh, you know, one of the industry standard basses. And um, that has really inspired me to... uh, let it sit in the corner while I keep playing the drums. Look, y'all, I really love the drums. But my point stands, which is that having a good instrument is a good thing. 
Uh, and so I decided that instead of getting a brand new guitar for Miles, I was going to find either a used Martin or Taylor, two of the best brands out there. Uh, and they both make, um, one is called a Little Martin and one is called a Baby Taylor. They're three-quarter size guitars that are perfect for a kid Miles's age. And so uh, I did some digging and had him play on some guitars at a guitar center. And uh, he fell in love with the Little Martin. And so I went and found a good one, actually a great one, at a really good used price. And I ordered it. And that, my friends, is when the poop hit the fan. See, I ordered the guitar from a guitar center uh, in Florida, and they said it would ship the next day, and it was going to be two-day shipping, and everything was going to be great. So four days later, with my next visit to Miles quickly approaching, um, I had not even gotten a shipping notification email. And so I called Guitar Center's corporate helpline, and uh, I, I spoke to a guy who basically informed me that... Um, yeah, that store was a disaster and a lot of their staff is a disaster. And, and so he, he called them and um, they had done nothing on the order just for days, just nothing. So I explained to him the situation and that, you know, this is for my son's birthday and that I'm traveling to see him and, and all the things. And uh, he ended up working it out so that I was able to go to one of the guitar centers up here uh, in the Buffalo area where I'm currently at, and get a brand new Little Martin, four miles, uh, at the same price. He gave me the discount code, told me what the discount would be, you know, put it in the system, all that good stuff. Now, here's the funniest part of all of this. The, uh, the Little Martin actually happened to be on sale at that guitar center. So I actually got a brand new Martin guitar for Miles for less than the price of the used one. Could not be more excited about that. Um, and I'm really thankful to Brandon at Guitar Center, uh, their corporate office, for not only helping me out, but for giving me his personal contact info and telling me that uh, he really appreciated my attitude and that if I ever want a discount on any single thing I would like to buy from Guitar Center to just call him and he will place the order for me directly. Don't you love it when uh, something seems like it's going wrong and, and it ends up working out oh so right? I do. And okay, so I have one other personal story to update you on. It's uh, it's uh, not, not set in stone yet, but uh, I'm really excited to announce that uh, I applied to and just recently discovered that I was accepted to Project Dragonfly. Now, for those of you that don't know that term, you should go back and listen to more of my interview episodes because a lot of people that I have interviewed have gone through Project Dragonfly. Uh, but it's basically a way to get a master's in biology. It's mostly online courses, but you do actually go and spend like two weekends a semester at a zoo and you do work at the zoo and and study things and, and work on things and that is part of your master's program. And uh, in this case, my home zoo will be the Cleveland Metro Parks Zoo in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, I could be starting as early as later this month, or I may have to defer to the summer, or I may end up not doing it at all. I really haven't decided yet. But, uh, you know, uh, the last couple of years have really taught me that I love being a science communicator and that I seem to understand this animal stuff pretty well and do a pretty good job translating it to all of you and to other people that I talk to. 
And I think it's a pretty cool idea to um, maybe maybe do that as my next step in whatever this whole Rossafari thing is going to end up being. And I'm just, I'm excited. Just getting accepted felt really good, you know? I mean, they like me. They really like me. Um, but seriously, I just, I wanted to share that with y'all. And if anyone in my audience has thoughts on Project Dragonfly or Masters in Biology in general or anything like that, please let me know. Please let me know soon as I have to make a decision soon. All right, cool. Uh, yeah, so those are my updates. And, um, you know, standard operating procedure here. Make sure you're following along on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Ross Safari. Uh, you can tag me in zoo newsworthy stories that you see on those apps and i will read your name at the end of the episode uh tiktok is at rossafari pod and my email address is rossafari pod at gmail.com if you want to email me those stories or you know just like other things so uh anyway without further ado let's get to it Okay, so I have a bit of a problem this week when it comes to zoo news, which is that possibly the biggest story of the week is unresolved as I am recording this because I have to do this a couple days early this week. Um, that story, of course, is that Bibi at the Cincinnati Zoo, mother of Fiona the hippo, Bibi's also a hippo, obviously, um, is pregnant. And they are on 24-hour birth watch. And there's uh, been some indication that she may or may not be in labor. Some of her behavior seems to be indicating that. Others do not. But uh, I'm concerned that by the time this episode drops, there's going to be news and you're not going to hear it here. Fortunately, as a recording engineer, I have a solution to that problem. So without further ado, here is... The up-to-the-minute news on BB, possibly. Sadly, the world's famous hippo and at the Cincinnati Zoo, Zoo as BB has still not given birth. Unfortunately, now, you may not remember that this mother and child are doing well, and though the sex of the hippo is but there is no news, news so we are sending our condolences Congratulations to everyone at Cincy. Yay! Congratulations to everyone at Potter Park Zoo, especially Red Panda Malia, who has given birth to a healthy Red Panda cub. Now, I will point out that Potter Park Zoo is the zoo that started the whole are they binturong kits or bintlets conversation that we had last week. And in this case, they did refer to the panda baby as a panda cub, not a pandlet, which I think they should stick with it and they should call this a pandlet. So yay, there is a new pandlet at Potter Park Zoo. And while we are on the subject of Pandlets. Congratulations to Kashmir and Randy, the red panda parents at the Kansas City Zoo, uh, on their new additions, Zuzi and Sundari, a male and female red panda cub that were born there. Excuse me, red pandlets that were born there. Uh, panda breeding season is a relatively small 
part of the year, but my goodness, it is a cute one, and it makes me really happy. And um, also, you know, I I tend to focus a lot on U.S. zoos, um, but there is a red panda in Japan who is named Kokin, and when Kokin was only 50 days old, her mother Kin passed away, and it took people hand-rearing Kokin to make sure that she survived. Well, she did, and she thrived, and last month, Kokin gave birth to twins of her own, a boy and a girl. I just think it's a really beautiful story that, uh, you know, this panda that wouldn't have made it has now had two pandlets to add to the population. So congrats to Kokin and to the people at Potter Park Zoo and the Kansas City Zoo for adding some pandlets, 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 I've got to say this right, to the population. And we've actually got a couple of other really exciting births for y'all. A new Chevalsky's horse, also known as a P-horse foal, was born at the Bronx Zoo and can be seen from the Wild Asia monorail. Now, Chevalsky's horses are a really important species because they were once extinct in the wild, but were repopulated and are now thriving. They are such a great example of how conservation can work, even for species that are extinct in the wild. So having zoo populations of them to share that story and also to have an insurance population, should extinction come rearing its ugly head again, is wildly important. So yeah. Bronx Zoo. And speaking of zoos that I love and births that excite me, Elmwood Park Zoo has recently announced the birth of some Chicawan peccary babies. And guess what? I'm not even joking about this one, y'all. So Chicawan peccaries are a uh, porcine species, and so the babies are normally called piglets. Um, but yeah, guess what Elmwood Park Zoo decided to call them? You guessed it. Pecklets. I don't know why this is a thing this year, but I am so here for it. So congrats to EPZ, my home zoo, for having pecklets. And actually, I got one more birth for y'all. So Cleveland Metro Parks Zoo recently welcomed a Francois Langer baby. Uh, This is really exciting because they are a fairly rare species in zoos. And uh, you can see this one at the Rainforest exhibit uh, at the Cleveland Metro Parks Zoo, which is an amazing building. And I just got to tell you, y'all, if you have not seen a baby Langer, they are really worth checking out, especially because they are a bright orange color and thus stand out on the black hair of their parents. So, uh, yeah, worth checking out if you're in the Cleveland area. Of course, as fun as it is to celebrate the beginning of a new life, there's also the fact that, you know, sometimes animals reach the end of their lives. And we have a couple of those stories as well this week. Uh, Riley, the African lion at the North Carolina Zoo, has passed away after battling renal disease for several years. Now, Riley was 23 years old at the time of his passing and was the oldest male lion in a AZA accredited institution. Um, And just uh, for the record, again, he was 23. 
average lifespan of a male lion is 10 to 15 years. So that just serves as proof that Riley was given incredible treatment and had an amazing long life. Heck, he even fathered nine cubs. So yes, while Riley will be missed, his legacy lives on and uh, he, he was such a great ambassador for his species and for the good work of zoos in general. And also leaving us this week was Windy, the last wolf in Alaska Zoo's wolf pack. Um, unfortunately, the uh, the rest of the pack had all passed on before Windy, and Windy was alone at that time, um, but only alone in terms of other animals. In fact, uh, she went on daily walks with the zookeepers, made countless appearances in zoo programs, and uh, just was a great animal. Um, it's definitely a, a sad loss, um, but, you know, in a way it's nice to think that uh, she's no longer without a pack other than her keepers. But condolences to everyone at Alaska Zoo. And Brookfield Zoo recently announced the loss of Jojo, their 42-year-old male silverback western lowland gorilla. Unfortunately, Jojo went into cardiac arrest during an emergency veterinary procedure uh, that was caused because of an illness that he encountered. Um, Jojo, at the age of 42, outlived the median lifespan of male gorillas in managed care by 10 full years. So, yet again, a very sad loss, but also just an incredible example of an animal being a great ambassador for his species and also for zoos and the care that zookeepers and veterinarians give in general. So one of the topics that comes up from time to time on this podcast, uh, but is always a little touchy to talk about, is zookeeper salaries. Uh, I know that we've mentioned a lot that, um, you know, zookeepers definitely don't make what they should because they should make all the money because they do incredible work. But at many zoos, um, it's it's really a poverty wage that they are, are living with. And uh, a lot of times, you know, I talk to keepers who have that kind of wage and have a, a spouse or parental support that that make them able to stay in their career. And I frankly know a lot of people who have left the field because of the wages. And I tell you that to tell you that some zoos are realizing that they need to be more competitive and taking huge steps to do so. The Memphis Zoo recently uh, did a huge examination of wages of animal care staff, cost of living, and other things, and made the decision to increase the wages of animal care staff between 20 to 32 percent, depending on level of expertise. That is just so incredible. I am so impressed by that fact. Um, I hope that this inspires other zoos to do the same thing, but I cannot give enough props to the Memphis Zoo. Short of getting like a new position, I don't think I've ever heard of somebody in, in one year getting a 20 or 32% jump in their pay in any industry. That's phenomenal. So all the props to the Memphis Zoo. 
And then last but not least this week, uh, there was a controversial Facebook post by the San Antonio Zoo that is uh, just, uh, I don't even know. I don't even know what to say about this one, y'all. And I have an open microphone right now, so I guess I have to figure it out. All right. So first of all, I'm going to explain this post to you. It shows a mother and young child who are holding up a stuffed animal of a well, kind of looks like a cheetah, actually, but we'll say we'll say a jaguar uh, to Frida, the two year old jaguar that lives at the zoo. Frida takes an instant interest and then starts trying to chase after it as they move it around and even throw the stuffed animal really high into the air. Um, and it's obvious that this was not like, this is not a keeper. This is just a guest. And, uh, there were a bunch of other guests around who were enjoying the interaction. It looks from all appearances, and this is not just my opinion, but also the opinion of animal experts that I've spoken to about this, as though Frida is having a good time, a great time. Having fun, does not seem frustrated, not showing any signs of stress. However, the post has gone wildly viral, and much of the reaction is negative. Um, people are implying that it is torture to, you know, have a toy for a cat and then not let the cat get it. Uh, in general, there have been 7,200 interactions on the post, uh, 5,200 of which were likes, but almost a thousand of which were sad faces. Another almost 350 of which are, um, angry faces and 87 of which are the care emoji, which could mean that it's aimed at the cat. Most of the comments, and I've said on here before that when I go and look at posts, even things that I think will be controversial, like, you know, an animal has passed away or whatever, it seems like 85 to 90% of the comments are positive. There are zoo fans who follow zoos. There are always some anti-captivity people on there, but it is the vast minority of comments. Here, however, of the 628 comments, I certainly did not do a survey of all of them, but I read a bunch, and it is wildly negative. Uh, and so, yeah, I don't know. I have a lot of thoughts about this, and I want to talk to uh, more people about it. I've, I've spoken to some behavior experts already, but they all just agreed that the cat seems like it's fine and having a good time. But here's my question. Is it good to leave up a post that shows something like that if so many people think that this person was torturing an animal? Also, do we want to encourage guest behaviors like this when there is the possibility that there will be copycats at other exhibits with other animals like primates that might get very frustrated by it? I've seen stuff like this with um, gorillas and with orangutans that get really frustrated when people are teasing them with toys and then not giving them to them. Uh, so... Yeah, I don't know. I have a lot of feelings about this. And again, I would love to hear your feelings. The post is still there on the Facebook, San Antonio Zoo. And I would love to hear what y'all think about this because I think it is a complicated thing. Uh, I don't necessarily know that I think there's anything wrong with the post, uh, but also I don't know that it's the best idea to have it there. So uh, if you go check it out, let me know what you're thinking. Stereotypical animal podcast theme song. 
conservation news. Before we get to the actual conservation news, I just have to say that uh, if you ever hear that song and and think, oh, come on, not all animal music is like that. Well, you're right. Not all is. But boy, a lot is. And I was on hold with the San Diego Zoo today for about a half hour. And uh, the whole time, all I was thinking was, wow, this is just a slower version of the stereotypical animal podcast theme song parody that I wrote. So, uh Yeah, sometimes I guess I'm pretty good at these things. (laughs) Anyway, let's get to actual conservation news. Uh, The first story of which is that the Big Cat Public Safety Act has passed the U.S. House of Representatives. Now, I've already done a bit of a deep dive into what this would mean, but it basically bans private ownership of big cats uh, and gets rid of all cub petting and tiger kingy type things and uh, also means that only accredited zoos can have big cats. So I'm all for this law from what I've read so far. The AZA supports it. Um, Many individual zoos that I know of support it. I I will say it's also supported by Carol Baskin, and just because of that fact, I know some people that think that it's probably bad legislation because they think she is a bad human, and um, I don't know, you know, sometimes maybe maybe that's just not how that works. Uh, I am open to learning more about this, and if somebody has an opinion on it sucking, then uh, let me know. But this is pretty good news, and uh, there is high hope that it will pass the Senate. So uh, I'm pretty excited about that as well. So let's keep our fingers crossed that the Senate does that, or anything. A recent study has come out showing that um, some of the biggest emitters of CO2 in the world are celebrities that um, have the propensity to take short private jet flights. Uh, The 10 celebrities who are the biggest culprits here are, number one, Taylor Swift, and then Floyd Mayweather, Jay-Z, A-Rod, Blake Shelton, Steven Spielberg, Kim Kardashian, uh, Mark Wahlberg, Oprah Winfrey, and Travis Scott. Uh, And the saddest part about this is that Taylor Swift, who seems to really love nature in a lot of the things that she does, has already this year managed to produce 8,293.54 tons of CO2 emissions, which is 1,184.8 times more than the average person's total annual emissions. And um, honestly, her number is uh, over a thousand more tons than even number two. Uh, Yeah, kind of just what seems to happen here a lot is that these are celebrities that have their little private jets and they don't want to not fly everywhere. So even if they have close business or just want to go on a trip, you know, up California coast a little bit or something, they hop their jet and they don't give a crap about the damage they're doing to the environment. So I'm glad that they're being called out for this. And I hope that um, they decide to change their ways a little bit. Come on, Tay-Tay, you're better than this. I've shared a lot of stories on here recently about birds that were found thousands of miles from where they are expected to be found. And now I get to share a story about a shark that was in that same situation. 
Um, so a Greenland shark, which is typically found in the Arctic, was recently found in the Caribbean Sea um, near Belize. That's really far away, in case you didn't notice that. Um, and it is the first time that a shark of this kind has been found in Western Caribbean waters. And the team of scientists that made the discovery is not entirely sure why the shark was there. There is some speculation that, because we don't know a lot about these sharks, there's a chance that they actually travel the whole globe from pole to pole and just normally stay really, really deep in the water when they get to warmer areas so that uh, they've never been seen there before, but actually do live there or at least visit there as they go hunting and such. Um, but there's also just the chance that this was a wildly lost shark and, uh, I don't know. This is one of those weird stories where, like, on its own, I don't even know if I would have reported on it. But it just time after time, I keep saying uh, in a wildly frustrated way that, um, you know, there are animals that are thousands and thousands of miles off course from where they're supposed to be. And I just I just don't know what to do with that. And I really, really do worry about it. Uh you know, conserving animals means tracking weird movements and, and things like that. Are they outliers or is something going on? We need to keep an eye on all of these situations. One of the most common refrains in ocean conservation is that plastic is bad, and we always see the example of sea turtles eating bags because they look like jellyfish, and we are reminded to reduce our plastic usage. Well, uh, let's reinforce that right now. A baby green sea turtle that was just roughly the size of a human hand— uh, when it was discovered missing a flipper because it was uh, injured, was taken to the Taronga Zoo in uh, Sydney to get veterinary help and hopefully recover and possibly even be re-released. Uh, so here's the craziest thing about this turtle. It was there, it was doing well, and then it started to defecate. And for the first six days, Every time the turtle pooped, it only pooped plastic. No actual feces, no food material at all, pure plastic coming out of a sea turtle for six straight days. It was all different sizes, colors, and compositions. Some were hard, some were sharp, and with some, you could tell the plastic had writing on it. There's so much plastic around that they're just consuming it as their initial food source, and uh, that's just disgusting and disturbing. Uh, the turtle is doing well, and hopefully in the next year will be released, but they're going to keep it uh, to head start it more until it gets larger and thus will be less of a threat for uh, predation. But yeah, the turtle pooed plastic for six straight days, and that is the worst ever poop story. Poop story. It's time for other news. It's time for other news. Hey, now, right now, right now, it's time. It's time for other news. Hey, it's a segue to the podcast. 
One of the leading pet insurance companies is currently going after a weird target, veterinarians. Fetch by the Dodo, previously known as Pet Plan Insurance, is currently working on introducing a new restriction into all of their pet insurance policies. Uh, The exclusion states that a pet of a veterinary professional will not be covered if treated at the hospital where the veterinary professional is employed. In other words, you cannot take your pet to your own hospital even if it's treated by another doctor or technician. Uh, And while that's just disgusting, like, I have to tell you, uh, Zoe works at the best vet hospital in the Buffalo area. It's the only place I would want us to take our pets up here. And on top of that, it's the only emergency hospital in the area, meaning that if little Paradiddle gets sick at, you know, a non-standard business hour time, it's the only place that we can take her. So, yeah, that's an issue. And uh, then it goes into a really weird place where it also says it excludes coverage if your pet is treated by any business associate, Uh, even one's not at the hospital. What the heck does that mean? A business associate? I mean, vets conference together and work on things together. And does that just mean that if they've ever referred a patient to each other, uh, they are business associates? That's that's how I would use that term. But um, yeah, it's vague language. And thus, we don't really know yet what it means. There's also language in this uh, proposed policy that um, excludes coverage if your pet is treated by a veterinary practice that is quote, your employer. Well, what exactly does that mean? What if your hospital is part of a chain or owned by a corporation that owns numerous other hospitals? Can you not go to any of them? Uh, it's, it's really a problem. And they say that they're doing this to eliminate moral hazard and fraud. Um, but that's just ridiculous. Ridiculous. They're they're saying basically that they don't want to pay for treatments that are unnecessary and to create any moral weirdness for the vets by um, using their insurance to pay for their own hospital services. But at the end of the day, the only thing this is actually going to accomplish is making it harder for veterinarians, who I'm sure you've all listened to this special episode and know already have it wildly tough, to get good work done to their pets. When we got paradiddle spayed, of course we went to Zoe's hospital and had the best darn doctor there do the surgery. Of course we did. That's what you do. But can you imagine also if you know that one of your business colleagues is really good at a procedure, they're now saying that you have to go to a doctor that you don't know and and risk your pet. Oh, this is this is ridiculous. And I'm really, really hopeful that this stupid company will see the error of its ways. And while we're on the uh, subject of human animal conflict, in this case, yes, I'm referring to the uh, pet insurance company that is being a dick as an animal. But that's not really fair because I love animals. Uh, people in 
Um, Yamaguchi City in Japan have come under attack from monkeys that are trying to bite and claw at their flesh, sneaking into nursery schools, and even trying to snatch their babies. So far in the last month or so, there have been attacks on 58 people by monkeys in this city. The monkeys are not hungry and they're not interested in food so trapping them has not worked they tend to sneak up from behind and attack people grabbing at their legs um so yeah so yamaguchi city here had to figure out uh, a plan they released instructions that said if you are confronted by a monkey do not look them in the eye make yourself look as big as possible such as by spreading open your coat then back away as quietly as possible without making sudden moves um it's kind of crazy. These monkeys are just absolutely terrorizing the people in this town, and no one knows why they are doing it. Uh, these are Japanese macaques that are doing this, and yeah, this is unprecedented, and um, so far they've only caught one of the monkeys, and they did put it to death, but uh, the attacks did not stop after that. So uh, I guess when it comes to macaques, the death penalty is not a deterrent after all. Oh, animal, oh, All right, so your animal holidays for the week. We are still in August, and so it is National Parks Month and National Catfish Month, and August is for Antelope Month and Asian Elephant Awareness Month. And then we're picking up, today is August 5th, which is a Friday, which is World Tomastoma Day. The 7th is Sea Serpent Day and also launches the International Assistance Dog Week. The 8th is International Cat Day. And the 10th is World Lion Day. And those are your animal holidays for the week. All right, and there you have it, folks. Another week of Rossafari Zoo News. I would like to say thanks to Lara Shank, my Red Panda-level patron, and remind all of you that you can go to patreon.com slash rossafari to support the pod for as little as $3 a month, and you'll get bonus audio from some of the episodes and even a couple of full bonus episodes that are out there now. So pretty exciting stuff. I'd also like to say thanks to everybody who contributed to this week's episode. Anya Keen, Colleen Lenahan, Kim Cooley, Justin Fairchild, Kristen Khalil, and Crystal Chapman. And uh, remember, friends, the words newsy credits backwards are Steiderk Yeswen. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley-Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.